Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Hello and welcome to The Best in the World with Richard Parr. Now, if I recorded this intro just after England's defeat to Iceland, I would be ranting and raving and probably swearing because I was in a terrible mood. But I do want to give you my thoughts on England's performance at Euro 2016. But I'll do that in just a moment because first I want to tell you that today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash best. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle or MP3 player. Before I talk about England at Euro 2016, I want to tell you that today's guest is Sean Murphy, 2005 World Snooker Champion. Yes, he's English and he's a winner. It's a rare one, I know, I understand that. But it's a great chat with Sean. He talks about how he's just got married and expecting his first child and how that will affect him as a snooker player in the future. He talks about his everyday routine and perhaps how that will change when he has a kid. He's also got some interesting ways of how snooker can perhaps be enhanced for the viewer, so we discuss those things. And he talks about the popularity of the game around the world. It's a really good chat. Sean Murphy is a top bloke. So this is a chat that you will not want to miss. And if you're an England football fan, I guess you've got lots of time because they're not in the Euros anymore. So you don't need to... Keep Sunday free to watch them in the quarters against France. I was genuinely thinking that I might try and get tickets to go to Paris to see them, but they've saved me a, a bit of money by being knocked out by Iceland. And before I talk about England, you've got to say full credit to Iceland. They played really well. They were really well organised. They deserved their goals. This wasn't a minnows victory. It was a well-organised team which deserved the win. But there was obviously frustrations. When Rooney scored for England after three minutes, I was genuinely saying this is game over. Because in all of England's previous games, they were pressing, pressing, pressing. But they couldn't break defences. We saw it against Wales where they waited right until the end to get the winner. Against Russia, they really struggled to get their goal. Slovakia, they couldn't even break Slovakia down. So I thought once they'd been able to break Iceland, then 
it would be game over, that England would be going through. But it didn't work out to be that way, and it was just lapses of concentration. We saw in the first goal that Carl Walker lost his man. I actually thought Nathaniel Klein played pretty well against Slovakia. In my opinion, I think Carl Walker is a better right back, but I thought Klein was really good against Slovakia. And these third games, when you rotate the players in the squad, surely if they play well, you should bring them in. And I thought Klein did a good enough job to be brought in, but yet he wasn't. And Carl Walker ended up watching the player and they scored. And then when it comes to the second goal, I've seen some criticism of Eric Dyer, of Cahill, of Smalling. Yeah, they all can be to blame, I think. But Joe Hart really should have saved that. And I've really questioned whether Joe Hart is England's number one. Uh, he probably is England's number one. But what annoys me is how he was always a guaranteed starter, that his place was never in doubt. And frankly, I think... Had Jack Butlins not got injured, he could have been a serious contender for that place in goal. He had a fantastic season with Stoke. He didn't do too well on his debut for England, that is true. Or in the last match he played, sorry. But he was in really good form. And Fraser Forster, although he missed quite a lot of the season through injury, he came back and was in really good form. And, you know, I think he really should have been pushing Joe Hart. And especially after the mistake Hart made against Bale's free kick against Wales, I thought, hmm, why not stick Forster in goal for this Slovakia game? If you're going to make all these changes, why not try the keeper? Um, I actually was at England versus Russia for the opening game, and I remember watching Hart, and I thought his distribution is really poor. I remember that was part of the excuse Fabio Capello gave in 2010 for why he didn't pick Joe Hart in those games. He started with Rob Green. We saw what happened there against the United States, where he let one slip in. Then he went for David James, but didn't want to play Joe Hart, partly because of his distribution. Yes, Hart was still young. And some of the balls he would play against Russia, they just really weren't good enough. It wasn't good enough for a team which should be challenging to win a European championship. And if we talk about players that aren't good enough, I've always been a fan of Wayne Rooney, the striker. I think he's a very good player, but this season he really has underperformed. Then he got injured and then there was the emergence of Marcus Rashford and Rooney returned in midfield and he had a few all right games in midfield. Some he played quite well. But why was Roy Hodgson so determined to play him in this England team in midfield? There are plenty of other midfielders who could play in that role in this team. He kept trying to be like a quarterback. He kept trying to do these crossfield balls. Even yesterday, when he needed to make a five-yard or ten-yard pass, he'd try and do these up-and-over balls. He'd try and chip the ball over to a player who was ten yards away from him. And sometimes it wouldn't even get there. It was very, very frustrating. And you've got to wonder, you've got a player like Ross Barkley, who his form dipped towards the end of the season, but throughout he was pretty consistent. He set up a lot of goals, certainly at the start when Everton were in a bit better form. And why he didn't get a kick of the ball in this tournament, I have no idea. I've got one friend on Facebook who keeps joking he must be getting really good at Grand Theft Auto and other PlayStation games because he's not played a, a game of football at all at these Euro Championships. But Jack Wilshire has. That, for me, is absolutely ridiculous. Jack Wilshire has barely played this season. He's clearly a good player. But he didn't play well when he played against Slovakia. And yet he was still brought on at half-time against 
Iceland. For me, that was absolutely nonsensical. I didn't understand that at all. I was also looking that Roy Hodgson played 33 different players in qualifying. Two of them weren't Eric Dyer, who I actually think Eric Dyer did all right. I know he got uh, I know he got substituted at halftime against Iceland, but throughout the tournament, I thought he was one of the better players. But Danny Rose didn't play in those qualifiers, and I really don't think he's good enough. I don't think he's good enough for an England team. Spurs fans who might see him week in, week out, they might argue differently. I don't see him week in, week out, but from what I have seen, I don't think he is an international class left back. And one of the other things which I guess annoy me, I want to get it all off my chest now, is why did Hodgson wait till around the 86th minute to bring on Marcus Rashford? My only feeling is that he thought we would get a goal and then Rashford would be fit and healthy and have lots of energy for extra time because it would be 2-2 and then he'd be there for extra time. He was the only real attacking threat. He wanted the ball. He wanted to go at players. He caused trouble in just the, the three minutes plus stoppage time that he was on. Hodgson waited far too long to make the changes. Why didn't he go for broke, if anything, like he did against Wales? Why didn't he bring Vardy and Rashford on at half-time like he brought on Vardy and Sturridge against Wales? It makes no sense to me. I've been a huge supporter of Roy Hodgson. I think he was a good choice as the England manager at the time. I supported him at Euro 2012. Even at the World Cup, I thought, all right, we've lost to Italy. Italy are a decent team. We lost to Uruguay. That was a worse performance, but Uruguay were the Copper America winners at the time, the South American champions. Okay, I can I can understand that. I'll, I'll forgive that. And then we went 10 for 10. All right, it's looking better. But he really didn't know his strongest team. He really didn't know which players to play in which formation. He was trying to use all the players who were on form, and it just didn't work. And we're going to go back to the drawing board. And at the time of this recording of this podcast, we don't know who the next England manager will be. We'll have to wait and see. I'm not very excited by some of the odds-on favourites at the top of the bookmakers' lists. It's, it's a bit concerning, I'll be honest. But this is the life of being an England fan. If you're, if you're not an England fan, you're probably just laughing at this the whole way through. I wish I was laughing. I was, certainly wasn't laughing on Monday night. But, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. As they say, you've got to fail nine times to succeed on the 10th. And we're going to learn from someone who has succeeded. And that is Sean Murphy. World snooker champion Sean Murphy is on the podcast. Let's learn from some of the greatest sports athletes on the planet. He's coming up next on The Best in the World. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Well, Sean Murphy, welcome to The Best in the World with Richard Parr. First of all, I've got to say congratulations. I hear you're now a married man, and I hear your family's going to get a little bit bigger soon. Yeah, got married a couple of weeks ago, and uh, as you rightly say, we've a uh, little boy on the way. He's going to be due here in uh, late August. So it's going to be all changed in the Murphy household, and um, yeah, looking forward to it. Can't wait. Yeah, it should be interesting. And of course, someone like Novak Djokovic has recently had a baby and that hasn't affected his tennis career. In fact, it's probably made it better because he's now holding all four Grand Slams. How do you think it might affect your snooker career? 
Well, I'd say if it affects me like it's affected uh, Novak, I'll be a very happy man. But I think um, I think it's one of those things where you know it, it, it's going to change my perspective on everything, and um, I'm interested to see how I cope with being away so much. You know, I've always been a big supporter of the World Snooker Tour, and um, having not been a father and not had that pull stay at home I've pretty much gone to every event for the last five or six years but obviously now that's about to change I wonder whether I'll be um, less inclined to to play in you know every single event whether I might become a little bit more choosy have you asked any of the other snooker players uh, how they cope with being away from their their young children and families do you know the one thing that keeps coming through is that they're just so relieved to get away and get some sleep (laughs) and um Perhaps I now know why some of the lads on the tour, they don't come out of their hotel room for days on end. You just see them when they're playing their match and they retreat back to their room for some, you know, hibernation and a bit of R&R. And, um, yeah, maybe that'll be me, you know, in the weeks and months to come. You know, you'll be, fly to, be flying to Shanghai and, uh, you know, I'll just take up residence in my room and just sleep for the week. Um uh, some of the lads, you know, they, they might lose early. They probably still stay just so they don't have to go back to the, to the nappy changing and things. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. Um, I have a sneaky suspicion that um, my dedication to snooker won't change. I think it will be enhanced by uh, having a son. I think it will. I think it will spur me on to try and try harder to do better um, in the hope that I can, you know, give him all the things that he wants as he grows up. So. Um, I think I'll be. Uh, I think I'll be somebody who goes that way. So, do you think it'll be a bit less golf for you? I know you're a big golf fan and you play a lot, and I think you've got a pretty good handicap, I believe. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to go that far. I wouldn't want to say it'll encroach onto my golf. It may stop <laughs> me playing snooker, but it won't be stopping me playing golf. No, I, I recently said to Elaine, um, "Was it too early to get in? You know, membership at the golf club? Uh, I, I may be getting ahead of myself somewhat, but." Uh, I think it's, um, you think you've got to have your little things. I mean, you've got to have the things that get you away. You've got to, you've got to have your hobbies. And, um, you know, I don't want to be somebody who, you know, doesn't, doesn't have a life. Um, but also, you know, being a father, I'm not sure, I'm not sure uh, what could be more important. So, um, if it's a, if it's a choice between, uh, having time with my son or playing golf, then it will be time with my son. But if there's a chance for me to sneak off and get nine holes in somewhere, then um, I'm sure the clubs won't be too far away. <laughs> so let's just talk about how you, you've got to where you are today. And so, how, how many hours of practice do you would you generally put in? And, and what, what what would be your kind of morning routine as well? You know, my, my my routine as a snooker player is very similar to what you know a working man working man in the street is, or anyone with a career. You know, my wife and I, we're usually up early in the morning. She's very up. She's up very early to go to work herself. And, um, you know, I, I'm normally, uh, you know, up at the same time she is, breakfast together. And, uh, you know, I usually get ready once she's left. And then I'm straight into my office. And, you know, my office doubles as a snooker room. Um, you know, there's quite a lot of admin goes into uh, being on the professional tour. And, you know, there's my relationships with sponsors and my charity partners. Uh, of course, you know, there's lots of dealing with World Snooker and, 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 and things to do. And once all that's done, um, you know, it's then on to the real stuff of practicing on the table, working on my game, trying out new strategies, trying out different things with my technique. I'm always seeking to improve. 
Uh, mix and match that with a bit of match practice with some other professionals, maybe, you know, one, one game a week with somebody who, you know, is going to put you around. And, um, yeah, I usually stay out here, you know, obviously lunch at some stage as well, but I'm usually in my office until Elaine comes back home from work herself, you know, around sort of five, six o'clock time uh, most days. So, you know, it's uh, some people are, some people are often surprised the amount of work that, um, some professionals put in, but I think that's, you know, you've got to look at it like a job, you know, mm. you can't treat it like a hobby. You have to treat it as work. Otherwise it's so easy to, well, I'll just sit here and watch, I'll just watch another episode of friends or I'll just watch yeah. the news and I'll just do this. Unfortunately, um, the modern world of Facebook and Twitter and news <laughs> and all of this is great, but it, it does distract you from it. It can distract you from what you should be doing. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the other thing that I'm very lucky is that I really enjoy my practice. I really enjoy getting up and coming to work. And, um, I've been that way ever since I was a boy. So for me, it's not a chore. I don't have to make myself do it. I look forward to it. And, um, I think if you can retain that, then you've got half a chance. And do you block that time off? I know when you start the day doing admin, I know when I start doing admin, it can go on forever and then I don't get to do anything productive. Do you say at 11 I've got to stop or is it until everything's done? How, how do you block that time? I tend to work. Uh, my my business partner and I, you know, we tend to sort of have a Monday reconnaissance and a Monday meet either on the phone or in person and we get everything done. Um, you know, we, we get through things. Uh, and you know, most of my stuff I will try and keep for the next, for the, for Monday. I don't mind, I don't mind devoting Monday morning to this type of things, but of course, you know, inevitably there's things that need to be dealt with there and then they come in day by day and those things, you know, I do try and get on the table. I'm, I'm usually on the table, you know, 10 or 11 o'clock at the latest, um, you know, with, with, with these things done. But as I say, I'm in the office by, Eight thirty, nine o'clock most mornings, an hour's worth of replying to emails and you know inquiries on my website and you know stuff like that. I try and I try and get involved on Twitter as much as I can and try and respond to people. Um, I've got my own YouTube channel which I'm trying to keep fresh and keep updated. And uh, you know all of that stuff needs doing at some stage. That stuff needs filming and editing and putting together. And you know it doesn't it doesn't just do itself. And um, you know, it's uh, it's exciting. It's, it's it's enjoyable to do, but it is also time spent away from 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 actually practicing playing snooker. So I try and be quite strict with it. And usually by half ten, eleven, I'm on the table with a cue in my hand. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. More from Sean in just a moment, but for you, the listeners of the Best in the World podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. That's very nice of them, isn't it? I actually use this service and I've most recently been listening to The Art of Possibility. And I think we all need that after what happened with the England football team and if you're in the UK, you know that they've agreed to Brexit to get out of the EU. But as a lot of people are trying to say, we need to just go forward and keep marching on and see what happens. And let's try and be positive about things. And that's certainly the ethos of the Art of Possibility audiobook, which you can get on audible.com. So if you want to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash best again that's audibletrial.com forward slash best for your free audio book let's get back now to sean murphy the best in the world podcast with richard parr I noticed you quite like your Twitter, and in particular your your Twitter votes. And I've seen a, quite a few of them connected to <laughs> <laughs> your ways of improving snooker and improving the sport. I've seen things about perhaps a dot on the ball and, and junior snooker. Yeah, is this something you want to get even more involved with as the years go into the future? Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, I, I absolutely love snooker, passionately love it, and I want to see it grow and improve and. You know, I know the powers that be in snooker, the WPBFA and Barry Hearn with their World Snooker Limited, you know, trying very hard to improve the game at their level. Um, and sometimes I just get a little bit concerned that, you know, some of the people on the, on the, on the, at the very bottom of the rung are being forgotten about. And um, I, think there's a, I think there's a few little changes that could be made to improve the game. I don't really think that sport, as in, you know, either using these dotted cue balls to show people the spin using. I don't think there's been that many advancements in stuff like that as there could have been. Um, you know, years ago, they used to use white tennis balls. You know, they don't now. It's, it's so me and you can see them better. It's nothing to do with the players. It's so that the, punt, it's so that the punters and the people watching it can, can see what's happening better. It's not nothing to do with tennis. 
and I think it would only enhance snooker and the 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 the, um, the experience of the watcher if we had stuff like dotted cue balls or more interactive uh, more interactivity with you know with TV if they could make the viewing experience more enjoyable and interactive I think it would only it would only enhance the game and um, I'm not talking about you know changing the rules that much although there are a few that I would change if I could but I think snooker the game of snooker hasn't really changed in you know 70 or 80 years since it started and uh, some people think that's a good thing and some people think it perhaps needs tweaking here or there well I think we're very, a very traditional country so I think sometimes people fear quite a bit of change but if you were to change one yeah. thing what's the one thing you're most passionate about when it comes to this well, the, the problem with what you've just said is that, you know, you're right, and we are a very traditional country, but, you know, this island we live on, of the United Kingdom, you, you know, it is just that, and there's a massive world out there of expansion and technology, and things are moving forward all the time, and I'm always worried that, you know, we we still think of snooker as a British sport, and it's our game, and it's just, it couldn't be further from the truth. You know, snooker in the Far East, and not to not to ramble on about it, but in China and Singapore and places like that, it's booming through the roof, and they're just moving on with things. And snooker has become a global sport. It's not our little game anymore. And um, that's why I do these little Twitter polls and these, these exercises, because it's nice to, you know, not everyone on there is from the UK. And it's nice to, it's nice to get a feel for what people actually think. Mm. And of course, you get your staunch, staunch against, you know, <laughs> this dotted cue ball one I did recently. People were up in arms about it. You can't do that. But then you've got, you know, you've got Dave down the road who likes it and goes, yeah, I would love that. I'd love to know how you guys do this, that and the other. So for every no, for every no, you've got a yes. And uh, I think that's part of the part of the part of the part of the good thing of Twitter. Well, it's interesting you say about the global expansion. I was working at Eurosport back in 2005 based in Paris and they just started, maybe a year or so had been started broadcasting snooker on their channel. And most of the French people there didn't have a clue about it. But what they really did find was it was producing some of the best viewing figures and it got picked up very yeah. quickly. I think particularly in Germany, they really started to like it because it was so accessible to watch. So it's interesting how these things can expand and, and people can take it on if something changes absolutely and and you know we shouldn't be frightened to change the game of snooker came from billiards in the 20s you know when the world championship started in 1927 as i say if you look if you if you took a an image of a game in play in 1928 and and compared it to a game that this world championships you you do well to find many differences maybe the tables are the tables we use today are of a higher standard and the, the balls are made of a different material. But that's about it, you know. There's not much, there's not much changed. Mm. And um, if you look in all sports, all sports that have moved on and progressed have, uh, have had to change. Even golf, even the golf authorities now are saying, we've got to change. You know, golf is this multi-million dollar industry, globally, you know, accessible yet they think they've got to change and become more relevant to society for it to survive. And yet the snooker governing body won't, won't, won't look at putting dots on a cue ball. You know, it's, it's, it, it, it could be worrying if you, if, you, if you thought about it too long. So talking about changes, you're probably a very different person to 
who you were 11 years ago when you first won the world title. What do you know now as a player that you kind of wish you'd known in that, that time period? Do you know, I think uh, I think the majority of changes for me have, have been away from snooker. Um, you know, I still go for too many shots and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But I think what's happened to me is through uh, lots of ups and downs on the table and off, I've matured as a, as a bloke and realised that, you know, the 22-year-old who won the World Championships, who thought he knew everything and was prepared, that he thought he knew everything and, you know, was, was very vocal. Um, if I could jump in a time machine and back and have a chat with myself, I would, I'd be telling myself to uh, wind my neck in. And, you know, I was, a, I was quite a vocal young man. I had an opinion. Unfortunately, that hasn't changed. But what I've learned um, through through social media, Facebook and Twitter, and uh, certainly just growing up as a bloke, that, you know, your opinions are your opinions, entitled to theirs, and um, your opinion, you know, it doesn't, make, doesn't mean that um, having an opinion is, is, is exactly what it is. Uh, in lots of things, there's, there's a lot more grey in the world than I once thought there was. In a weird way, though, do you not think some of your outspokenness and almost feistiness helps you become more competitive? Do you think that helped you become a world champion back then? Um, I, well, I think maybe my, my nature of, of um, fighting against the establishment and not, and not accepting the levels that people tried to impose on me helped me win the world championships. You know, I was there going for my sh- Everyone was saying you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be. Well, I'm going for it. And for that fortnight in '05, you know, the balls went in. But you know, there've been plenty of matches over the last, uh, you know, 10, 11 years where I played the same way and they haven't gone in, and I've had to go home as a loser. Um, there's been there's been lots of those matches. Um, but you know, everyone harps back to the World Championship in 2005. Um, I like to look forward now to some of my you know more more recent victories and think, yeah. They were they were a bit more they were a bit more well rounded you know those performances were were a bit more you know, and um, you know it, it, I think it's taken me a, a bit longer to mature as a player as I perhaps would have liked I'm pleased that it happened and um, I've got another you know I've probably got another good ten years where I can do some damage in snooker at the top at the top level so I'm going to try try and make the next ten years as, as good as I can. Fantastic. Well, hopefully we'll see you win another world title. I know you've got to go soon. I'll ask you two quick questions. Um, you were close to winning it again. I, I know you were in the final in 2009, but most recently last year in 2015. And I read somewhere that you stayed in for about three weeks after you lost that world title final. What did you do for three weeks stuck inside? Well, I mean, I just didn't want to leave the house. So it was a mixture of, you know, I, I would leave the house to go to the local shop but, you know, would just be returning with chocolate and uh, sweets and just, you know, just watching terrible daytime TV. <laughs> just, it was a real a real couple of weeks of self-pity. Um, uh, you know, I think I left the house because we had to go to the World Snooker Awards down in London, um, which is a fantastic night, which we always like to go to. But apart from that, I don't think I really left the house or the gardens and just didn't want to see anybody. You know, everyone wants to... Everyone wants to talk to you about the game and how close you came and you did and it's that and it's that shot and didn't you do well? And I think a lot of people forget quite naturally that 
for me, snooker is my my life and it's my job. Um, whereas for everybody else, it's entertainment mm. and their relationship with it is slightly different. And for me, when I lose, it hurts. Whereas other other people don't have that relationship with it. You know, it's it's the thing in my life that I'm most passionate about. And so when it hurts me, it hurts me more than pretty much anything else. And losing in the world final, getting so close to my second victory, um, losing was very difficult to take. Not because I thought I should win. It was just because it's not nice to lose. And in some ways, you know, it would have been easier to have taken a first, second, third round exit rather than to get so near, to get within three frames of victory and to lose was was very difficult today. Well, hopefully you'll have another world title soon. This interview's been really entertaining. Sean, just before you go, if you could just tell our listeners how they can follow you on Twitter and any other kind of website addresses or anything else you'd like to promote just before we go. Thank you. Well, everyone can get in touch with me at my website, which is uh, seanmurphy.net. And I do spend most of my time on Twitter where I'm my, where I'm at, at Magician147. Brilliant. I'll make sure that I'll vote on your next vote. Sean Murphy, thank you for being the best <laughs> in the world. Thank you very much. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Thanks again to Sean Murphy for appearing on The Best in the World with Richard Parr fun chat with the former world snooker champion could he be a snooker champion again we'll have to wait and see but i've got a little treat if you are a snooker fan because coming up on the best in the world soon we will have the greatest snooker player of all time the seven time world champion stephen hendry will be on the best in the world I'm not going to tell you when that's going to be on yet. You're going to have to stay across the Facebook page. That's the best in the world with Richard Parr. You're going to have to stay across my Twitter at Richard underscore Parr. And you're going to have to look on my website, richardparr.net. A few little plug there. And if you have enjoyed this chat with Sean Murphy, I would really appreciate it if you would subscribe to the channel on iTunes Give it a rating, give it a review, and even if it's not a review on the app, please just tell one of your friends. Via social media, via Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, however you do it, or in person. Tell your friend I have learnt from one of the greatest sports athletes on the planet, and I think you would benefit from it too. Please tell them, the more subscribers we get, the better the show is. It's the best in the world with Richard Parr, and I really appreciate your time. We'll have more great podcasts on the way. You know all the channels to listen to. We're also now on SoundCloud. If you're listening to it on that, thanks a lot for joining us, and I'll be back with you next Wednesday. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.